0: Thanks, guys. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, make some space here in case I get wild. We're going to be looking this morning at verse 4 there in chapter 4. We're going to be spending uh, the next two weeks in verses 4 through 7. Today we're just going to look at verse 4. I'll go ahead and read the whole passage. Uh, If you can only stick with me for one verse, listen to just the first one. So uh, this is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. The Apostle Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is God's word to us today. Would you pray with me? Our great God, we come to you this morning as a people who desperately need to hear a word from you. We pray this morning that you'll send the Holy Spirit to us, uh, that you'll open our minds and our eyes and our hearts, uh, that you'll help us to understand your truth, uh, that you'll make us more like Jesus. And Father, would you teach us to rejoice? We pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. Amen. No one in this room wants less joy, I would, I would guess anyway. No one thinks that they have too much joy, that things in their lives are going pretty good except they're just a little too happy. I would guess that's not a problem you are struggling with. And yet when we come and we read a verse like Philippians 4 verse 4 and the apostle Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. We don't hear that as a good thing. We don't hear that as a command that God wants us to have more joy. We hear that as a naked command. And it sounds hard and it almost sounds heartless because it seems like God is telling us to always be happy. No matter what's going on in your life, be happy. And if you're not happy, then you're sinning. It sounds like that's what God is saying to us. And in fact, that's not what God is saying to us. In fact, the Apostle Paul in this verse is telling us something that is profoundly true about ourselves. And when we understand that truth, when we understand that thing He's telling us about ourselves, we'll find that we can't help but rejoice. Rejoicing won't be a command. It won't be a burden. It'll be something that, that happens. So what is that true thing? What is that thing he's telling us that's going to help us understand how to rejoice? And that thing he tells us is that we are in the Lord. That little phrase right after rejoice. We are in the Lord. We have to take it backwards. We can't start with rejoice. We're going to start with in the Lord. What does that mean? That's a phrase that that Paul uses a few times in the book of Philippians. Uh, He tells us in the book of Philippians that he is confident in the Lord, that he hopes in the Lord, that he trusts in the Lord, that he is pleading with Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He's also commanded us to stand firm in the Lord, and now he's telling us to rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, I think it's a part of a broader idea in Paul's writings and in the New Testament. And in a number of places in the New Testament, you'll find the phrase that we are in Christ, or that we are in Him, or that we are in Jesus, or here that we are in the Lord. In fact, if you look through Paul's letters, that that phrase occurs almost 200 times in the letters of Paul. That's a pretty easy search to do on on the Bible software, so it's not like I read through Paul's letters and, and tallied this week, lest you be too impressed with me. But, but if you look through those 200 things that Paul says are true about us in Christ, there is 140 different things that he says are true of us in Christ. Isn't that amazing? 140 different things that are true of us in Christ. You see, this idea that we are in Christ or in Jesus or in the Lord is, is something that theologians call union with Christ. That we are united to Christ. We are in union with Christ. And what that simply means is that in Christian theology, the idea here is that everything that is true of Jesus is true of us. Everything that is true of Jesus becomes true of us. His goodness becomes our goodness. His obedience becomes our obedience. His perfection becomes our perfection. His story becomes our story. And the way we get union with Christ is that God grants us faith and the Holy Spirit then unites us to Christ. It's how we're saved. Everything that is true of Christ becomes true of us. Everything of his becomes ours. And what that means is that we get a renewed, a restored relationship with God A restored relationship with other people, a restored relationship with creation, even a restored relationship with ourselves. We can know ourselves truly and better and more deeply because we are in Christ. We get a new story that we are a part of. We get a new identity to stake our lives on. In fact, being in Christ means that we are not our own. We are in Christ. We don't belong to ourselves. You see, being in Christ is really the bedrock of who we are. It is the bedrock of our identity. It is the fundamental truth of your life as a Christian. It is the truest thing about you. Being in Christ is the truest story of your life. You see, what that means is that God's grace is is the truest thing about us. God's grace is the truest thing about us because we are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, whether or not you are conscious of it, you remain in Christ. Whether or not you're intentionally doing something in the Lord or whether or not you're intentionally doing something in Christ, you are in Christ. Because the gospel is ultimately not about you. And it's not about your feelings, and it's not about your motivations, and it's not about how well you even understand that you are in Christ. The gospel is outside you. The gospel is something God does to you, and God gives to you in Christ. And that means that no matter what motivation you have for doing something, you are doing something in Christ because Jesus holds you tighter than you can ever possibly on to him. And if that's true, then every part of your life is in the Lord. Every part of it. Jesus lays claim to all of you, not just your spiritual parts, all of you. Your entire life is in Christ. You are caught up into a new story, the story of what God is doing in the world. Everything you do is in the Lord. Everything you do is in Christ. And a lot of times I think we don't understand this. And that's because I think sometimes we have a, a small view of salvation. We act as if salvation is simply that God is giving us a get out of hell free card. When in reality, the gospel is that in Christ, God is making All things new. All things new. The gospel is enormous. The gospel is huge. And being in Christ is all-encompassing. Everything you do is in Christ. You pray in Christ. You worship in Christ. You parent in Christ. You do exercise in Christ. Maybe. You do your homework in Christ. You vacuum in Christ. You eat in Christ. You drink in Christ. You cook in Christ. You do data entry in Christ. You return email in Christ. You practice medicine in Christ. You live in Christ. You breathe in Christ. You sleep in Christ. And you die in Christ. All of our lives are lived in Christ. It is the truest thing about you. And that's why we say so often here that we want to be ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Because we are doing everything in Christ. And Christ is the one who makes us part of what He is doing in the world. You see, the truest thing about you, everything that you have, need, want, or do is yours in Christ. That is the truest thing about you. For eternity and what Paul tells us is that being in the Lord being in Christ is the reason we can rejoice this is why we can rejoice you see rejoicing only makes sense in the Lord or in Christ what I love about verse 4 here in Philippians chapter 4 is that it is a command that is saturated with honesty It's a command saturated with honesty. Paul is not telling us in any stretch of the imagination to be rejoicing in our circumstances. That's not what Paul is telling us at all. Paul is telling us that we rejoice in Christ. So, what does it mean to rejoice? Does rejoicing mean that we have to be happy all the time? No, it does not. Rejoicing doesn't mean that we're happy. All the time. It doesn't mean that we pretend that pain is pleasure and that everything is dandy all the time. We become the insufferable people who are always happy despite what's going on. No, I think rejoicing means that we live in light of what is most true about us. Rejoicing means that we live in light of what is most true about us, and that means that it is a process of understanding our experiences and understanding our circumstances in light of what Jesus has done, and recognizing that no matter where we are or what we do or what happens to us, we are in Christ. We are secure in Christ. In other words, we don't rejoice simply because we're happy we're not going to hell. No, we are rejoicing because there is something that is more true about us than our circumstances. We are rejoicing that there is something more true than our circumstances, whether our circumstances are good or whether our circumstances are bad. And there's an implicit temptation here that Paul is addressing, and that is the temptation to act as if our circumstances are the truest thing about us. You know, if, if maybe our circumstances are good, then we either think, hey man, this is awesome. My life is great. I must be doing really well. Or maybe you're a cynical person and things are good right now and you're just walking around flinching because you know the other shoe's going to drop. That's what it looks like to live if you think your circumstances are the most true thing about you. If things are bad, maybe you're tempted towards despair or just being really cynical or even just trying to be stoic and just being like, well, I know God is not really going to do anything good for me, so I'm just going to kind of lay back and wait on the next bad thing. Maybe that's what you're thinking, but that's what it looks like to live as if your circumstances are the truest thing about you. The truth is that life this side of glory is a mixed bag. We get good and bad. We have moments of profound truth and beauty and goodness. And we have moments of just unbelievable pain and heartache and suffering. Rejoicing can happen in both sets of circumstances. It just looks different. When things are good rejoicing looks a lot like praise. When things are good and you have those moments that we all get that are just moments of true delight and blessing and gratitude, praise is easy. Rejoicing is easy in those moments because it's it's the way the world is supposed to be, right? It's, it's like what is true about us actually feels true. I had a moment like that earlier this week. I've been trying to uh, uh, run some, which Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it does not. And I think it was Tuesday afternoon, I went with my kids, and they were going to ride their bikes, and I was going to go for a run. And we always walked to the end of the street and stretch. So I was walking, and they were riding their bikes on ahead of me, and it was 75 degrees. Uh, the sun was low in the sky, and it was kind of shining back through the trees, and the trees were kind of waving. and uh, I was just kind of light was flickering, and uh, it was breezy, and it was cool, and it was beautiful, and I saw my kids, and I just thought, man. I am so blessed. I'm so blessed. Like there's nothing but grace here. And it was just wonderful. It was beautiful. It was easy to rejoice in a moment like that. What, What is true about me felt true. But what do we do when things are hard? What do we do when things are painful? When we experience the brokenness of this world in a direct way, whether through pain or sickness? or suffering or injustice or relational brokenness or even death? What does it look like for us to rejoice when that is happening to us? I think the biblical picture of rejoicing in those times is called lament. You see, I think lament is rejoicing in a minor key. Lament is rejoicing in when you're sad. So what is lament? Lament is a a biblical word, but it's the idea, it's the proper response of God's people when the world is not as it should be. Lamenting is asking the God who's in control of everything why things are the way they are. Lament is asking the God who's in control of everything where he is and why he seems to be asleep and why he hides His face. You see, that's the language that the Psalms uses. Lamenting is a profoundly biblical idea. You see, if you look through the book of Psalms, there are more Psalms of lament than there are Psalms of any other kind. More Psalms of lament than Psalms of confession. More Psalms of lament than Psalms of celebration. More Psalms of lament than Psalms of delight. Lament is the language of the Psalms. And lament is not just venting our emotions to God. It's not just dumping all of our anger and our frustration on God and asking Him to to deal with it. No, uh, uh, lament is a profound expression of trust in God. God invites us to lament. He invites us to remind Him that He is in control. And that he has made promises to us. And he has said that things are true of us that right now don't feel very true. Where are the promises, God? Sin and death are defeated? Really? In this world? God invites us to lament like that. Well, how is that rejoicing? That doesn't sound very much like rejoicing, does it? Well, I think we have to remember that rejoicing is not being happy. Rejoicing is living in light of what is true, of what is most true. You see, in Christ, God has defeated sin and death. All of the promises that he makes us are yes in Christ. And that God holds us more tightly than we can ever hold him. That is what is most true about us. And lament invites us to speak that to God. Lament invites us to acknowledge that and ask him where he is. And because it's true, it's rejoicing. I look around this room, and I see people that I know are struggling with depression, people that are struggling with marital brokenness, uh, people who've lost loved ones recently, people who've lost jobs, people going through pain and chronic or terminal illness. Uh, just, just this past week, m- my wife and I lost a baby uh, to miscarriage to preach on lament. See, God is not indifferent to our suffering. He's not. It's not heartless for him in verse 4 to ask us to rejoice in every situation because God is not telling us to be happy. He's not telling you to be happy. He's not telling you to pretend like your pain is pleasure. God is inviting you to hold him to his word. He is inviting you to cry out. And he is most importantly inviting you to realize that your pain is not the truest thing about you. Jesus is. One of my favorite theologians is a man named Todd Billings. And he's a young guy. Uh, I think he's in his early 40s now. Uh, He was diagnosed with a rare form of incurable cancer. Uh, at age 38, two young kids. Uh, he was at the height of his career. I mean, this is a guy whose, whose star was on the rise, and he's just befallen by this this horrible tragedy, this painful and acute reminder of how broken the world is. And he recently, actually, just a couple weeks ago, released a book where he is reflecting theologically on his diagnosis, on his prognosis, and what that means about the God that he loves. And I ran across this quote that I thought just fit and helped me. And he says this. He says, In and through and by Jesus Christ, with whom Christians have been united by the Holy Spirit, we can praise, lament, petition, and discover that the story of our loss is not the only or most important story that encloses our lives. The story of our loss is not the only or the most important story that encloses our lives. He gets it. Our loss, our pain, our suffering is not the most important thing in our lives. It's not the truest thing about us. I love the title of his book. He entitled it Rejoicing in Lament. I thought it was a great title. You see, in both praise and lament, we are living in light of what is most true, that there is something that is more true than our pain and our pleasure, and that there is something that our deepest pain makes us long for and our deepest and truest pleasure gives us a taste of, and that is that in Christ, we have an eternity awaiting us that is almost too good to be believable. You see, we can't understand Paul's command to rejoice until we understand what it means that we are in the Lord. That's why we started there. We have to understand in the Lord if we're going to understand rejoice. Because rejoicing is not just another burden. It's not just another command. It's not just another thing to do like, God wants you to love your neighbor, oh, and always be happy. That's not the point. Paul tells us to rejoice because we have something to rejoice in. We have something that is truer than our circumstances, and Paul, in fact, is modeling it all throughout the book of Philippians because there is nothing about Paul's circumstances that are worth rejoicing in. Paul is writing this letter from prison telling us to rejoice You see, and that's where it's helpful for us to realize that chapter 4, verse 4 comes after chapter 4, verse 3, which comes after 4, verse 2, all the way back to 1, verse 1. We've had a whole lot of discussions. And see, Paul is couching this command in the context of all that he's told us already that God has begun a good work in us, that He's going to see through to completion at the day of Christ, that we have a Savior who stepped out of heaven and took on the form of a servant and went to the cross and died for us and then was raised again in victory over sin and death and that everything in our lives is worth nothing compared to knowing that, is worth nothing compared to understanding our lives in the context of His resurrection and our future resurrection. You see, all of that is ours, but it's only ours in Christ. And so we don't rejoice because things aren't that bad. We don't rejoice because we have to pretend that pain is pleasure. We rejoice because everything that is true of Christ is true of us. We rejoice that because in Christ, God rejoices over us. In Christ, God rejoices over us, and because we are rejoiced over We can rejoice, but only because we are in Christ. Would you pray with me? Our great God, we thank you that our pain and our pleasure, or whatever our circumstances are, that those things are not the truest things about us. That the truest thing about us is that we are in Christ and that we are rejoiced over and we are loved and we are held more tightly than we can ever hold to you. Father, would you help us to live like that's true? Would you help us to praise when times are good and to lament when times are bad and to be joyful in both? Help us to live in light of what is most true about us, that we are in Christ and we have a glorious eternity in front of us. Father, thank you that our pain is not the truest thing about us.